This is Africa Digest. Seventeen hundred hours Central African time. Good afternoon and welcome to Africa Digest. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective, broadcasting to you from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa. You can find us on www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samora Mangesi and I'm in studio with Joelani Tulo as well as Nosikhe Zuma. Top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. Doctors Without Borders says that in South Sudan at least five people die every week at internally displaced persons camps. Some South Africans are calling for the country to return to higher levels of lockdown as the COVID-19 infections rise rapidly. And Russian voters have overwhelmingly uh, back a, backed a referendum allowing President Vladimir Putin to remain in power until 2036. Right now, though, it's time for us to cross on over to the news desk. Here is Jolani Tullo with the latest. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Samora. Good afternoon. Botswana's President Mohotsi Masisi has been placed in cautionary quarantine again after one of his close aides tested positive for the coronavirus. Other staff members will also follow the precautionary protocols to monitor if they show any symptoms within the 14-day period. Norma Bolani reports. This will be the fourth time that President Mohotsi Masisi is going into quarantine since the coronavirus was detected in the Sadek region. His country has been observing strict travel regulation and placed the head of state in quarantine after attending the inauguration of Namibian President Haige Gangob on March 21st. The following month, he was exposed to a nurse who tested positive for the viral infection. In May, Masisi travelled to Zimbabwe for a SADC meeting and on his return to Khabarone, he again entered quarantine. His office is now working on contact tracing to ensure all those exposed follow measures. South Africa's national chairperson of the ruling ANC, Gwede Mandashe, says he would not argue against the return to higher alert levels of lockdown in certain parts of the country. Mandashe was speaking as the levels of COVID-19 infections rise rapidly in the Gauteng and Eastern Cape provinces, gaining on the country's epicenter of the Western Cape. South Africa last night registered its highest number of infections to date within a 24-hour cycle of over 8,100 cases. Mandashe elaborates. And I would argue for a, a staggered return. That means where there is an epicenter, take it back to, 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 to lockdown. But you don't take Northern Cape to lockdown because there is a rising number of cases in Johannesburg or in Gauteng and in the Eastern Cape. Take uh, Gauteng and Eastern Cape to lockdown if you need be. But allow Northern Cape to continue operating because there's a low number of cases. Meanwhile, the opposition EFF has called for the country to return to Level 5 lockdown for the next three months. The party contends that the public and private health care systems will not be able to cater for the rising number of infections. It has warned that failure to do so will result in the loss of hundreds of thousands of lives. Numpumelelo Simango is the party's national communications officer. In order to sustain the Level 5 lockdown, the government must ensure that food prices are regulated The government must make sure that there is enough supplies of food, 
water, electricity, and sanitation for all. And all financial institutions, they must be forced to give people an interest-free payment holidays of three months. People cannot die because they have loan obligations to pay for their homes and their cars. We cannot lose lives because people have to go out there and fend for themselves to put food on the table. Eight people have been killed in a suspected grenade attack in the Ethiopian capital, Addis Ababa, as protests continue following the shooting and killing of a popular musician, Hachalu Hundesa. This now brings to 89 the number of people killed since protests broke out in the country's Oromia region after Hundesa's killing on Monday night while he was driving. The motive for his killing remains unclear and police say they have arrested two people in connection with the killing. Hundesa's political songs gave voice to the Oromo's long-standing sense of martial the military has been deployed in Addis Ababa and the internet remains shut. Hundesa's death earlier this week sparked two days of protests. And finally, rescue efforts are continuing in northern Myanmar where a torrent of mud and water has poured into a jade mine, killing more than 100 people. Many others are thought to be missing following the landslide. The BBC's Jonathan Head has the story. There are hundreds of thousands of people who work in these mines near a town in the far north of Myanmar, a Kachin state called Pakan. It's been famous for sort of the world's greatest jade for decades, and there's so much money to be made from it, it attracts huge numbers of migrants, some of them working for companies, but hundreds of thousands of them just illegal people sort of scavenging. So there are always large numbers of people out working, and they would have had very little chance to escape. I mean, it was a massive, literally an entire lake that it emptied with a whole load of mud and rock as well. Headlines at 5.30 for Channel Africa. I'm Jolani Tulo. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Starting off in South Sudan, where Doctors Without Borders, an international French humanitarian medical non-governmental organization, has announced that at least five people die every week at internally displaced persons camps throughout the country. The announcement coincides with disclosure by the United Nations mission in the country that more than 60 of its workers have tested positive for coronavirus. To tell us more, here is James Shimanyula. Up to today, Thursday, South Sudan has recorded 2,000 and 21 cases of COVID-19 with 38 deaths. To make matters worse, Doctors Without Borders, an international French humanitarian medical non-governmental organization, says COVID-19 is killing at least five people every week in internally displaced persons' camps throughout South Sudan. Here is Doctors Without Borders representative in South Sudan, Nicholas Vanessa, to shed light on the deaths. Five every week. So when we look at it overall, regarding the previous month, there is an increase, but on a overall uh, overview, is not yet uh, that alarming. Obviously, with the crisis that is happening now, with the pandemic of COVID-19, everybody have that in mind. But we are now looking more into what's happening in the community the World Health Organization and uh, other health partners in the camp to try to really find what is the cause. Vanessa says he has already informed the World Health Representative in Sudan and the country's Ministry of Health about the deaths in internally displaced persons' camps. We went to see the 
World Health Organization and the Ministry of Health, just to inform them that we are seeing that in our hospital. And this is what triggered the broader investigation alongside with them to actually go a bit deeper in every test and to investigate if actually the acute respiratory infection was the cause of the death. Dr. Joseph Wamala, World Health Organization representative in South Sudan, explains why COVID-19 deaths are occurring in internally displaced persons' camps. Because we have a high burden of uh, conditions like malnutrition in these types of population, so there is also worry that mortality may be high. Also confirming that indeed corona is killing internally displaced persons in South Sudan is Dr. Duong Dem Kwei of the Yuba Teaching Hospital. This could be due to coronavirus because one of the people who died was a suspected case of coronavirus. He was taken and sent to Yuba before he died. But unfortunately, because you know, results normally delay in Juba. We did not receive the results of the sample on time. The results came after he passed on. Minister of Health spokesman Paul Lal tells us what South Sudan government is doing to reduce the spread of COVID-19. Minister of Health and together with our partners, we, do, we need to do a lot to ensure that whatever is happening regarding COVID-19 extend beyond Juba. And so we are working together, and there are actually sites that have been identified for case management in Juba and beyond Juba, looking at the high-risk areas. We need to do a lot to ensure that um, the testing capacity and the treatment uh, say actually uh, goes beyond, beyond Juba for handling cases of COVID-19. Meanwhile, Doctors Without Borders' announcement about deaths occurring in internally displaced persons' camps coincides with the disclosure by the United Nations Mission in South Sudan that more than 60 of its workers have tested positive for coronavirus. David Shira, the United Nations Special Representative in the country, tells us the latest on the spread of COVID-19 at the UN mission in the capital, Juba. One person has died, military, the police and civilian staff members. And really it reflects the fact that you know our people working very closely with the South Sudanese and moving around and talking to them and surprising that we have that number. The number that Shiara is referring to relates to more than 60 workers at the UN mission in Sudan who have tested positive for COVID-19, mentioning some of the causes of many cases of COVID-19 at the UN mission, Shiara said. Influx of people coming into the into the country and anybody that does come into the country has to be quarantined for 14 days. So we're pretty confident that we are not bringing virus in from outside and now given that the sites are pretty congested. That was David Shiara, United Nations Special Representative in South Sudan. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. While President Cyril Ramaphosa urges South Africans not to panic as COVID-19 infections rise rapidly, some are calling for a return to higher levels of lockdown. South Africa has registered its highest number of infections to date within a 24-hour cycle. The number of confirmed cases has risen by over 8,000, bringing the national total to nearly 159,400. 
The number of COVID-19-related fatalities stands at over 2,700. Busi Chimombe reports. President Cyril Ramaphosa sought to reassure South Africans during Wednesday night's virtual presidential imbizo on the coronavirus. Of course, the rise in infections is making all of us nervous and anxious. We need to know that our workplaces are safe. We also need to know that our schools are safe, but we are not helpless in the face of this virus. And if we take the necessary precautions, we really do not have to be afraid. Gauteng Health MEC Bandile Masuku, however, is concerned. The province has a total number of infections of just under 46,000, second only to the country's epicenter, the Western Cape, and has seen a significant spike in new infections, about 3,000 a day recently. We are anxious about the pressure. We want us to change the gear as society. We have also have to play a role as government to make sure that some of the regulations that we spoke about should actually come back to give a breather to the system, to give the breather to the healthcare workers so that we can be able to save lives. Gauteng says it will be consulting on whether to institute further restrictions in the fight against the COVID-19 pandemic. Meanwhile, ANC National Chairperson Gwede Mantashe says he would not argue against the return to higher alert levels of lockdown in certain parts of the country. I would argue for a, a staggered return. That means where there is an epicenter, take it back to, 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 to lockdown. But you don't take Northern Cape to lockdown because there is a rising number of cases in Johannesburg or in Gauteng and in the Eastern Cape. The EFF is, however, not interested in half measures. The party has called for the country to return to level 5 lockdown for the next three months, warning that a failure to do so will result in the loss of hundreds of thousands of lives. Delisi Lenguenya is the party's national spokesperson. In order to sustain the level 5 lockdown, the government must ensure that food prices are regulated. The government must make sure that there is enough supplies of food, water, electricity and sanitation for all. And all financial institutions, they must be forced to give people an interest-free payment holidays of three months. People cannot die because they have loan obligations to pay for their homes and their cars. We cannot lose lives because people have to go out there and fend for themselves to put food on the table. Ordinary South Africans, particularly in Gauteng, are indeed worried about the way forward, with mixed feelings about what should be done to control the spread of the disease. Because it's winter, that's why every... If the pandemic is spreading like that, I think maybe if you got back to level four and then maybe it's going to be a little bit lower. It's not going to stop the infections if we, if we go to another level or a higher level. It, it'll come. If it's not now, it'll come in a month. It's the preparation that needs to be on. I would definitely say they should actually make it provincial where there is high risk factors. Level 4, level 3 being dropped, I don't agree with it because I know it's just going to escalate and become worse. I mean, 
for instance, kids at school, whether metric or grade grade nine, kids are going to misbehave. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. We call upon church leaders to really cooperate with government. It is the church which can help us to stop this crisis. The church should not contribute to this crisis negatively. We are calling upon our church leaders to listen to our premiers, our mayors, and the president. Let's work together to reduce the spread of this uh, virus. South Africa, it is possible. We are here because unity of purpose is necessary. Channel Africa. The time is now 17.16 Central African time. This is still Africa Digest with myself, Samora Mangesi. Moving on right now, members of the Anglican Church in Mtata in South Africa's province of the Eastern Cape have come out against violence against women and children. The congregants made their voice heard with a march through the town, hoping to draw the attention of the government to deal with the scourge. Kuleko Nyembezi reports. Thorough investigation should be done by law enforcers on GBVK. Women continue to be targeted of murderers and rapists in the Wartabo region. The area is also known as a hotbed for the so-called witchcraft murders, where elderly women are targeted on the back of rumors that they practice witchcraft. Many young women also die at the hands of lovers and spouses. The latest incident to shock the area was the murder of two women near Poston Jones. They were beheaded and dumped. The Anglican Church Mother's President in Yameka took a death church believes it can play an important role to stop the killing of women. They were also emphasizing that uh, women must be given uh, a, a chance and must be trained to, to be independent from, from, from men. They mustn't be dependent because some of, of them are dying in the, process of dependency, in the process of dependency to men. The judiciary in Mtata says it's working hand-in-hand with victims of gender-based violence. Mtata Chief Magistrate Nozuku Mviko says all cases of gender-based violence receive the necessary attention. With the independence of the judiciary, we monitor the finalization and there are different sections. Others will deal with the finalization of cases. Others, they are doing uh, the counseling of victims. And others, they are ensuring that uh, when the victim is in court, he is supported and all. There is still a large number of cases that go unreported in rural areas because the victims are threatened by their tormentors, as two rural women, Nomza Momjelo and Nomfuselelo, explained. These problems are very common in our communities, especially in young ladies, because they are always afraid of these men who are raped them because they always tell that I'm going to kill you if you tell your mother, so that the young ladies are afraid of dying. She phoned and tell us that there's a child who is a 13-year-old and this child is pregnant, so can we intervene? And then we did go there and talked to the child and the child told us that she was raped by his grandfather. The station commander of the Madeira police station in Tata, Tiny Feds, urges communities to report any form of gender-based violence. We're encouraging people that if they are suffering some form of domestic violence that they must report it and we can assist them to both report the criminal case as well as apply for a protection order to protect them. The stakeholders fighting this scourge are urging victims to file cases and seek legal recourse. 
rape and abuse often end up being resolved amongst families, denying the victims of justice. Some South African learners are calling on government to take this moment to fix infrastructure at schools rather than reopening them. Lobby group Equal Education hosted an online children's conference to try and bring together learners and education officials from different provinces to try and address some of the challenges faced by learners as a result of COVID-19. Horasane Sitole reports. Roy Jahan is a learner from Ivory Park. He feels that government should use this time to improve learning facilities in townships and rural areas. Now we face a lot of problems at school. I can say I take this time and fix all the schools rather than opening our schools and letting us go there, knowing very well that we are going to catch the disease. And it is true that uh, our, our schools, especially in Ivory Park and other places, they are, they are not updated. They are still in uh, asbestos and, and stuff. Now the government should take this time, upgrade our schools, fix all the problems, then we can open. The children's conference was organized by Equal Education. The lobby group's Deputy General Secretary, Tracy Malawana, says they needed learners to have a say since they feel like they're excluded in the decision-making process. They created this platform because they felt unheard, especially during this period of time. They felt like there's no one who really cares about how they've experienced learning during COVID-19. They highlighted issues around the expectation to learn from home and how difficult it has been for them to try and learn from home with the issues of connectivity, data, right devices to connect and all that, Alizas did it on their own. The learners say they've created a character. However, they know that the character will not erect brick structures where mud schools now stand, and it will not fix broken windows, establish libraries in schools, or do away with deep inequalities in South Africa's education system but they believe it will educate communities about their rights and responsibilities. Some learners in disadvantaged communities say they're struggling to cope. I have been at home and struggling with this homeschooling because issues such as data and network connectivity um, have been very major and I haven't been hearing a lot from my educators for work. Like sometimes I don't have data to go on these WhatsApp groups. In my school, we already have, you know, one case of Elena who has, you know, contracted the virus. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyenzovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We love Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. The South African financial services provider Metropolitan has encouraged the public to talk about their experiences linked to the COVID-19 pandemic so that they are able to navigate the new norm better. To help South Africans do this, Metropolitan has a campaign dubbed Three Steps Together, a movement that is aimed at fostering a culture of mental strength. To discuss this further, we're joined on the line by motivational speaker Gabets Wijan, who is one of the people spearheading the campaign in partnership with Radio Personalities. Gabets, thank you very much for joining us. 
Hello, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. I am good and I can hear that you sound good too. <laughs> Very well, thank you. Now, Kevin, so a lot of people might not know this, but um, mm-hmm. you actually are the founder of um, the Ujua King movement. Yes, of course. <laughs> so I would like to find out first and foremost, what was eating you for you to go on there and ask people what was, you know, bothering them? Like, to be honest with you, nothing. I'm a, I'm a socialite, so obviously I was scrolling down Twitter on the day, and I just thought to myself, and I asked, you know, so I had no anticipation that it was going to last as long as it did and blow up as much as it did and trend till this day. So, none exaggerated mix. All right. And uh, what would you say is probably the was the trending thing that you saw because all of those responses were coming to you and you got to see what was on people's mind and what was bothering of people. Course. What would you say is the top thing that was bothering people? The, the, the top response was definitely about unemployment and outstanding fees because it was in January 2019, the 5th of January 2019. So a lot of people were going back to work. A lot of people were going back to school. So, yeah, unemployment, definitely. Now, of course, we can expect that coming into 2020 and especially halfway mm-hmm. through the year now with uh, COVID-19, with the lockdown, yeah. etc., that uh, that people are a lot more frustrated and a lot more bothered about unemployment. Yes. Mm-hmm. That is true. So tell us about the Three Steps campaign and the importance of mental strength during these times of COVID-19. All right. So the Three Steps Together campaign helps people to know that they're not alone and what they're feeling is normal. And there are motivational speakers like myself and Dr. Musa that are assisting in coming up with three step solutions to help attain mental strength. So what I've been doing is I've been going on radio, Lissetti FM every Tuesday, um, quarter past eight. So we, we speak about a topic and then uh, um, we have callers call in and then we give them three steps that they can use to help navigate their new normal. And, all right. And uh, how have you managed to navigate through the new normal? Okay, I had to dig deeper for strength and wisdom, you know, and I think it's times like these where we need to remind ourselves how great we are. So I've read books that empower me, and I've also been very wary of uh, the kind of information that I take in and taking in only the important and the necessary information. Mm-hmm. And uh, what are the dangers or challenges that people on social media need to look out for regarding their mental health at a time like this? All right, the challenges do vary quite a lot, but people are indeed overwhelmed. The challenges can go from not having enough money to sustain their households, not being able to manage with schoolwork, and parents juggling parenting and work. These things could lead to like depression and anxiety. And uh, can you specify the type of mental issues you have to navigate through during this pandemic? I understand that we're talking about anxiety and depression, but mm-hmm. uh, just like on a grander scale. All right. I wouldn't call what I've been going through depression as, as, as much, but it was very frustrating in the first weeks to be stuck indoors, you know, and I had to find ways of living with the new reality. And I did. So I started my own routine and I made sure that I stuck to that. And is there any advice that you would give to ordinary men and women on the streets on the importance of mental strength? 
All right, yes. Uh, mental strength is a very important, you know, and it gives you the ability to look beyond the negativity and be solution-orientated for issues that you might be facing. So it helps you also ease your anxiety and attain resilience. So I would advise you to seek help if things are getting out of hand, you know, and develop a set routine, exercise, and take time out for yourself. And like I said, I've I've been wary of the information that I've been taking in. So know when it's enough to take information because sometimes there is a negative or like false information that is spread on social media that makes people panic for no reason. So people should be wary of that. And it is absolutely important to take mental health days. Uh, I cannot, um, absolutely. I cannot agree with that uh, more because I think also for myself, as someone who mm-hmm. is in broadcasting uh, and mm-hmm. who spends hours a day looking at statistics of COVID nineteen, what's wrong with mm-hmm. the world in terms of gender based violence, mm-hmm. etc., talking about depression, uh, food mm-hmm. security, it can yeah. all get a bit much, you know. So yeah. I, I'm very much about encouraging uh, people to take mental health days, and I actually had to explain what that is to my mom the other day because <laughs> she was listening to the show and she's like, "Why weren't you yeah. at work?" And I was like, "It was a mental health day. I had to just." <laughs> yeah. But anyway, Kevin, so thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute honor. Likewise, that was Kebe Twichan, a motivational speaker for Metropolitan's Three Steps Together, joining us on the line. The time is now 17.29 Central African time. Right after this, we're going to be heading over to the news desk where Joana Nitulo is going to give us your latest news headlines. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. We call upon church leaders to really cooperate with government. It is the church which can help us to stop this crisis. The church should not contribute to this crisis negatively. We are calling upon our church leaders to listen to our premiers, our mayors, and the president. Let's work together to reduce the spread of this uh, virus. South Africa, it is possible. We are here because unity of purpose is necessary. Channel Africa. It's now time for your latest news headlines. Here's Chalani Tulo. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Samora. Making headlines, Botswana's President Mokhotsi Masisi has been placed in cautionary quarantine again after one of his close aides tasted positive for the coronavirus. South Africa's National Chairperson of the ANC, Greta Mandashe, says he would not argue against the return of higher alert levels of lockdown in certain parts of the country. And finally, eight people have been killed in a suspected grenade attack in the Ethiopian capital, Addis Ababa, as protests continue following the shooting and killing of popular musician Hachalu Hundes. For Channel Africa, I'm Cholani Tulo. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Russian voters have overwhelmingly backed a referendum on constitutional changes that include a provision allowing President Vladimir Putin, who has already served for some two decades, to remain in power until 2036. 67-year-old Putin has led Russia as either president or prime minister since 1999 and was due to leave the Kremlin in 2024. A public vote on the revamped constitution had been scheduled for April but was postponed due to the coronavirus pandemic. 
Professor Irina Filatova, an expert on Russia, elaborates. Uh, well, it remains to be seen. Uh, but uh, to tell you the truth, the most important thing, perhaps not even the fact that uh, Putin could stay in power until 2036, but there are many other reforms uh, uh, in the new constitution. Uh, there is, for example, the state council, which is supposed to uh, introduce more power, to have more power uh, than the president. Uh, the religion, Russian Orthodox Church, will have an overwhelming power in, uh, according to the new constitution. Uh, and there is the protection of the Russian language and many other changes which will uh, change uh, the situation in Russia. Mm. Now, a top Kremlin uh, critic, Alexei Navalny, um, has described the results as a big lie, which did not reflect real public opinion in the country. Now, this criticism, of course, was expected from Alexei because um, he's been seen as quite the thorn on uh, Putin's side for years. Um, where to from here, um, Prof? Do you foresee protest um, against these reforms? And what are your thoughts on um, Alexei Navalny's um, uh, sentiments on this? Uh, well, let's start with uh, Alexei Navalny's sentiments. Uh, first of all, I do think that uh, there was a lot of administrative pressure for people to come and vote, uh, and uh, to vote yes, actually. Uh, there was also several other very unusual things about this voting, such as uh, in many cases, perhaps in most cases, there were no observers because people voted in their flats, they voted in their courtyards, uh, they voted uh, in the boot of the car, mm, mm. Uh, they just put the uh, bulletins, the voting bulletins in the cardboard boxes and they're gone. Uh, so uh, that is uh, the other thing. There was also online voting, which uh, the Russians do not trust. Uh, however, having said all that, I think that if there were a massive opposition to the new constitution, we would not have the results that we have. Uh, and people would have been more decisive in opposing. And the last thing about Alexei Navalny, unfortunately, he uh, called on his supporters to uh, not to go to the not to vote. Uh, I think that this was a mistake. If they wanted to oppose the uh, new constitution, they should have come and voted no. Uh, so these things. But uh, where to from now and whether I see the, uh, uh, any meet- meetings or anything like that, perhaps nothing serious now. Uh, but in future, uh, yes, that could happen. That could happen because we don't see the results of the this constitution yet. We shall see how it develops. Mm. And, uh, um, Prof, the Russians um, have also voted to support a package of uh, amendments which include a pension and minimum wage boost. Uh, what do you make of this? Uh, well, the pension reform had already happened, uh, so there's nothing nothing much new there. Mm, mm. Uh, but about the package, you see, I've just mentioned some of the reforms, and uh, one of them, well, perhaps one of the most important ones, is the creation of a new state body, um, uh, the council, the state council, uh, which will uh, 
according to the Constitution, according to what we say here, uh, will have more powers uh, uh, than uh, the president. Uh, so uh, that is an interesting point, because what I, I see in it is an attempt to, if something happens to Putin, he may not leave until uh, 2036 after all. I think that this is an attempt to preserve his uh, uh, system, the system that he has created, the system of power that he has created, the vertical of power, as it is called in uh, Russia, uh, intact. Uh, if and when he goes. So that is how I see it. The role of religion, I think that uh, this is, well, uh, look, I grew up in the Soviet days when the religion was considered not a very good thing in the Soviet mm-hmm. Union. So I don't think that it should be in the Constitution. I think that people should be free to believe in what they believe and are uh, not obliged to uh, have a particular faith. Prof, does uh, the amendments um, have already been reviewed, of course, by Russia's Supreme Court and, and backed by the regional lawmakers? Um, does this uh, cast them in stone? And do you share the sentiment that uh, Putin's popularity is genuine, uh, despite uh, being dented, of course, during this uh, coronavirus time? Well, as I said, uh, you see, everything was done for people to come and vote. Uh, The popularity, I'm less sure about. You see, uh, normally the constitutional amendments are voted for one by one, not as a package. Uh, This is something that the previous constitution did not allow. Uh, according to the norms of the previous constitution, if you wanted to introduce changes, they should be introduced one by one. Uh, And if that happened, you see, uh, there's nothing wrong about the protection of the Russian language, for example. Uh, But, uh, uh, you know, there are other things that people could have objected. And uh, um, the fact that uh, uh, the prolongation of Putin's political life, according to this constitution, uh, is included in some very nice and not objectionable things at all, is perhaps the sign that uh, the ruling elite was worried uh, uh, that people may not like the idea. That remains to be seen. And that's Professor Irina Filatova, a Russian expert on the line to Zekonomiso. South Africa's power utility, ESCOM, will continue to implement load reduction at targeted areas that will have a high rate of illegal connections. The power utility says it loses over 1 billion rand a year in Gauteng alone as a result of illegal connections. Pearl Magubane has more. Illegal housing structures keep popping up in the province. And with that comes the demand for electricity, especially on cold winter days. But the illegal connections put a strain on infrastructure and often the explosions at many substations and transformers, which plunge the entire community into darkness. ESCOM says it's because of this phenomenon, mainly in high-density areas, that they have introduced load reduction. ESCOM spokesperson Sikonati Manjanja explains. Load shedding. That is when ESCOM itself does not have enough capacity 
enough generation plants at the power stations to generate enough electricity. Load reduction. There are illegal connections. The uh, illegal connections uh, overload the infrastructure. Once a transformer uh, gets overloaded, it explodes and that whole area will be without electricity uh, until the transformer is replaced at a cost of uh, between 50 and 100,000 rands each. Manjanja says the damage to infrastructure as a result of illegal connections has cost the power utility over 1 billion rand a year in Gauteng alone. So ESCOM has decided to uh, take away electricity from those areas whenever we notice that uh, there are illegal connections or the load is becoming too high. ESCOM will switch off. That happens between 5 in the morning and 9 in the morning. And that also happens between 5 in the evening and 10 in the evening. Those boxes uh, that are called transformers or those those are mini substations. They keep exploding when people interfere with them. This has cost ESCOM about 1 billion rand a year in Gauteng alone. Soweto residents are among those affected. Some issues actually out of hand because of now when they took the kids back to school but then people were faced with uh, issues of having blackouts. Kids would come back home with homework but they weren't able to do their work because they would find that at night um, from five o'clock there wouldn't be any electricity for them to to be sitting down concentrating and do their schoolwork. It'll be too cold, there wouldn't be any food. Almost half of Alexandra residents north of Johannesburg are without power after a substation blew up on Tuesday. Joburg City Power says the substation experienced a trip after a suspected attempt to steal copper cables. City Power spokesperson Isaac Mangena says they are also suffering major revenue losses due to illegal connections. We are talking about close to uh, at least 2 billion rents annually that is lost uh, due to the problems of illegal connections across the city of Johannesburg. Uh, part of the strategy is to basically conduct um, cutoffs in areas that have been identified as hotspots, especially those with more mushrooming um, Ill, uh, informal settlements. Manganesis, people simply see a source of free electricity and ignore the danger that comes with it. Not only does it impact the city, but also the health uh, or, or the lives of the people, especially the children around, because we've seen several cases of people that have been electrocuted um, uh, due to these illegal connections in areas in Rudeport, in areas in Alexandra, in areas within the city of Johannesburg. That's where, we've, where we have um, uh, recorded uh, cases of electrocutions and the problems of, informal, uh, of illegal connections. But these illegal connections and non-payment of electricity um, it's not only happening in the townships alone, but also even we've seen uh, an increase in the suburban areas. Residents in Alexandra who do pay for electricity are frustrated as they are also inconvenienced by the load reduction. Residents of Alex must take charge. All the illegal connection must be physically removed by the residents of Alex because this is the cause of the overflow. Mangena says there will be increased security around hotspots and random patrols to try and deter those engaged in illegal electricity connections. Pearl Makobane, Johannesburg.
Cameroon's football authorities say they are confident they can complete the infrastructure for hosting the postponed Africa Cup of Nations, otherwise known as AFCON, the continent's biggest football championship in 2022. The contest was scheduled for January 2021, but the Confederation of of African Football said Tuesday that uh, needed infrastructure was delayed by measures to stop the spread of the virus. Moki Kinzeka reports from Yaoundé. Sports Minister Narcisse Mwalekambe says the postponement of the Africa Football Cup of Nations offers Cameroon the opportunity to prepare a memorable competition. He says Cameroon will have time to quantitatively and qualitatively accelerate work on all sports, health, communication and road infrastructure in order to offer Africa a very successful continental football competition. He says Cameroon is going to perfect what it has already done to offer African youth a memorable Afghan. On Tuesday, the Confederation of Africa Football CAF announced that it had postponed the continental soccer event by a year. The CAF said it was moving the competition to January 2022 due to the impact of the coronavirus pandemic across the continent. Cameroon last week said some key construction projects in the capital Yaoundé and the seaside town of Douala had slowed due to COVID-19. It was the same situation in the northern town of Garwa, the western town of Bafusam, and Limbe and Boya in the English-speaking southwest region. Awa Fonka, governor of the west region, says he now has more time to make sure all Afghan fields and roads are in place. He says although construction work is almost complete on stadia in western Cameroon, only 40% of road infrastructure for the African Football Cup of Nations has been complete. He says he hopes that with the postponement of AFCON, companies will have more time to complete work that was either stopped or reduced due to COVID-19. The postponement has been received with mixed reaction. Football fans say they are anxious to see their teams play. It's going to play a very big toll on Cameroon in particular and the African continent in general. Reasons being that Cameroon that last hosted the Nations Cup since 1972 has big hopes of hosting in 2021 for have to see this with another time again. Algeria, who is the current champion, they will certainly want to come and keep its title with players like Rihad Mares. And then you see another player like Sadio Mane of Senegal who lost to Algeria. I think it's going to be an occasion for him to have loved to come back and do a challenge to get back the trophy that he has so much longed for. Annabelle Singer says, she took a loan to build a restaurant near the Olembe Stadium in Yaoundé that will host some matches. She says it will not be easy for her to either repay the loan or pay interest.
the postponement of the Africa Cup of Nations is not easy for the world of sports in general. Many people, you know, invested so much in the construction of hotels, of restaurants, with the hope that they would regain this money uh, by uh, hosting the Africa Cup of Nations January 2021. I mean, imagine now the interests are piling up and more so the hotels, the restaurants will not be used for the purposes for which they were initially intended. This was not the first time the CAF changed the tournament's dates. It was originally scheduled for June and July 2021, but was moved forward to January due to Cameroon's hot summer climate. On Tuesday, the CAF also confirmed the African Nations Championship. The biannual tournament for home-based players is being postponed by a year. It will also take place in Cameroon in 2021 reporting for channel africa this is moki kinzaka in yaounde cameroon it's now time for us to cross on over to the economic desk here's nosilia zuma Thank you, Samora. Good evening. Ireland's former president, Mary Robertson, is to lead an independent investigation into the conduct of the head of the African Development Bank. The BBC's Chris O'Walker reports. Whistleblowers accused the bank's president, Mr. Atkinwumi Adeshino, of favoring his fellow Nigerians. There are also claims that Adeshino used the bank's resources for self-promotion and personal gain, allegations he denies. The United States, which is the second largest shareholder in the bank, rejected the outcome of an internal inquiry and called for a fresh independent probe into the conduct of the Nigerian head of the bank. The Africa Development Bank finances projects in agriculture, health, energy, education, transport and other development sectors to help support the economies of countries on the continent. The United States' unemployment rate has dropped to 11.1% after a record-breaking 4.8 million jobs were gained in the month of June. The Labor Department's latest jobs report is the clearest indication that the labor market is beginning to improve despite the COVID-19 nationwide caseload spiraling out of control. Showing Bryce Peace reports. Job growth continues to accelerate, adding to a strong showing a month earlier in May when 2.7 million jobs were added to the economy as employment in certain sectors, particularly leisure and hospitality, bounced back slowly. But another 1.4 million workers filed for unemployment insurance for the first time last week, presenting a mixed picture. Add to that several states that continue to record high daily surges in COVID-19 cases, pausing or reversing their reopenings. Florida and Texas ordered bars closed last week for a second time after moving too quickly with their reopenings, while California halted indoor dining at restaurants and ordered movie theaters closed. Arizona recently closed water parks and gyms. Speaking at the White House, President Donald Trump said the economy was roaring back, but saying very little about the surge in COVID-19 cases. Sherwin Bryceby's SABC News, New York. 
The South African Broadcasting Corporation's facilitation meeting at the CCMA has been postponed to July the 16th. The meeting is part of the public broadcaster's retrenchment process it announced last month. The retrenchments are expected to affect around 600 permanent workers and 1,200 freelancers. The meeting was postponed due to technical glitches, as Angela Bulawaro reports. SABC employees will have to wait another two weeks for the CCMA process to get underway. This after the meeting, which was partly held virtually, collapsed due to technical problems. Employees are anxious about the process, which could see 1,800 people losing their jobs. This is the SABC forges ahead with its plans to reduce its salary bill by 700 million rand. The public broadcaster recently appeared in Parliament where it was told that the Section 189 notice was premature. However, SABC management made it clear that retrenchments were part of the conditions attached to the 3 billion rand government bailout which the institution received. Angela Bolon, SABC News, Johannesburg. The U.S. House of Representatives has approved new Hong Kong-related sanctions after China imposed a security law condemned by countries around the world. The measure, which was passed unanimously, penalizes banks that do business with Chinese officials. U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says the law is a brutal sweeping crackdown against the people of Hong Kong intended to destroy the freedoms they were promised. Critics also say China's law ends freedoms that were guaranteed for 50 years when British rule ended in 1997. The new Hong Kong-related sanctions will have to be approved by the Senate before going to President Donald Trump. And South Africa's Commission of Inquiry into State Capture has heard how former CEO of the Passenger Rail Agency of South Africa, Lucky Montana, acquired several properties with the help of companies with links to process contractors. According to the evidence presented by the Commission's investigator, Clint Ollerman, Montana also sold one of his properties at an inflated price to Precise Trading, a company with connections to one of process service provider, Siang. Olamen told the commission in Johannesburg that Montana sold three properties between 2014 and 2015. At the same time, Siangena's contract was being extended. May 2014, Mr. Montana sells his uh, property uh, to Precise Trade for about double the value of the property. June, a major contract is concluded between Prasa and Siangena, and Siangena is represented by Mr. Van der Waal as an attorney. Then, it seems about August, September, another property, namely the Waterclough property, Mr. Montana gets involved, gets interested in buying that property. And for your financial indicators, the U.S. dollar is trading at 386.40 Nigeria Nara, 11.64 Botswana Bula, 105.48 Kenyan Shilling, and 18.09 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar is trading at 5.40 Brazilian Roll, 17.92 Russian Ruble, 75.20 Indian Rupee, 7.06 Chinese Yuan, and at 17.18 South African Rand. The U.S. dollar is also trading at 80 pence to the British pound and 88 cents to the euro. Looking at commodities, gold is trading at at $1,762 and platinum at $804 per ounce. And the price of brand crude oil is at $41.74 a barrel. For Channel Africa News, I'm Nusi Lezuma.
This is Africa Digest. And that wraps up this hour of Africa Digest. Be sure to join us again from 1900 hours Central African time for more news from an African perspective. But should you want to get in contact with us in the meantime, send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za. Send us... Send us a WhatsApp message to plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven, and you can also tweet us on at Channel Africa One. Taking us to the top of the hour is Feelings by Zonke. We'll see you again later. Goodbye. <laughs>